Okay, church, grab your seats. Come on in. Tonight is a special night. Like I said, we got Pete Gregg here and his wife, Sammy, from Guildford, England. And uh, I just want you to know, like, my commitment here as a pastor is the pulpit is not a place like, oh, just get it covered. Oh, I'm going to be out or, or let's just, you know, have someone come up here and speak a nice. No, like, this is holy ground and a sacred duty. And when I think about who I want to invite to put in front of you, Pete Gregg is at the top of my list. This is probably year 10 that he's been coming through every year in June or July to come speak to us. And so he's no stranger here. Uh, He's the pastor of Emmaus Road in Guildford, England. They have three congregations there that he oversees. He's the founder of 24-7 Prayer, which has prayer rooms in over 135 nations around the world. He's written, I don't even know how many books now, probably 10 books that have gone all over the globe. But he's a man of God faithful to his bride. He's got two sons. They've got two sons that are rising up to carry the story on behind them. And when I tell you that these are two of the people that I trust with my life on the planet earth, I mean that. So tonight as Pete comes, I want you to know what a gift it is to have him here. Some of you are just getting to know him, but this is a man of God who has spiritual authority right here at New Life Church. So would you open your hearts and be receptive to the word of God? And would you join me in welcoming Pete? Greg. Oh my goodness, it's so nice to be back with you. When I stepped across the threshold, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe we are coming out the other side of COVID. You know, it is, it is just a joy to be back with you. And it's a particular joy uh, this time because for the first time, Sammy, my wife, is here. So Sammy, she'll hate this, but stand up and just say hi to everybody. As Daniel says, um, every year around this time, uh, we, 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 we get together some of the 24-7 prayer leaders from around the world in uh, a lovely little place called Colorado. And uh, it's always just such a beautiful opportunity to come and be with you, and uh, I look forward to it so much. I've so often talked to Sammy about you, about what God is doing here, and frankly, how pretty it is here as well, and uh, it's just such, I, I can't tell you how happy I am after the two years that we've all had to be back with you again. And uh, Pastor Daniel has very generously invited me to um, share a little bit from my, my new book, which is called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Uh, so that's for, just turn to the person next to you and go, this sounds like a book for you. So it's a simple guide for normal people. So it's been obviously an incredibly tough couple of years for us all. But in the midst of it all, maybe even in spite of it all, Jesus is still alive and God is still on the move. Amen? And uh, so much is going on. Let me tell you three stories. Here's the first one. Ten days ago, a girl called Maurice gave her life to Jesus Christ. Uh, We were running this festival in England 
And uh, she, she came to, to the thing and she just had this encounter with God. She said, I was filled with a sense of peace I'd never experienced before. She surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. So she walks out of the venue and some people say to her, what you need to do now is get someone to disciple you. She says, what does that mean? And they said, it means someone who'll mentor you, help you grow in your new faith. She said, okay, and wanders off thinking, how on earth do I find one of those? And uh, so she's walking across this field at the festival saying to God, uh, I, apparently I need a mentor, like how do I find one of those? Meanwhile, my friend Louise Yegnazar, who's one of the elders of our church, is walking across the same field saying to God, God, I really feel like I need someone I can disciple. And they meet. Now, the thing you need to know about Louise is, she, I mean, she's absolutely amazing. But she is, has been very open about the fact that she has struggled with some issues around her own identity because she was adopted as a child, but she knows that she is half Jordanian, she's half English, and she's married to an Iranian, okay? And so she, she's often talked about trying to process her identity issues around being half Jordanian, okay? So she's saying to God, give me someone a disciple. And this uh, girl, Maurice, who's been a Christian like minutes, is walking across the field saying, give me someone to disciple me. They meet. Somehow, Maurice tells her what she's been praying about. And Louise says, that's amazing because I've been asking God to give me someone to disciple. So uh, would you like me to be your mentor? And uh, Maurice says, yes, please. So then Louise says to her, tell me a bit about yourself. What's the most important thing for me to know about you so we can begin to build this relationship? And I kid you not, Marie says to her, the most important thing you need to know about me, Louise, is I am half Jordanian. And that's often been something I've had to process. We had about 4,500 people at this festival, and I can promise you there was no more than two half Jordanians <laughs> on the site. And, and so they met, and they're now on this beautiful discipleship journey together. And uh, if you want to say that that was just fluke, good for you. Your levels of faith are greater than mine. Your faith in fluke or luck or the cosmos or whatever you want to call it. I just find it easier when I hear stories like that to believe there is a God in heaven who made this beautiful universe and made beautiful people like you and has a purpose for your life and hears your prayers and wants a relationship with you and guides your steps and hears you as you're walking across the field saying, God, give me a hand and puts people together. Amen? Amen. It just sometimes stop fighting and just relax into the stuff that's fairly easy and obvious to believe. That's the first story. Here's the second one. I talked to a guy called Sean. He's a tiler. You know, he, he does tiles in bathrooms and wherever else you have tiles. He, he, he's, he's the guy for tiles. No Christian background whatsoever. Hardly ever been to church in his life. Uh, a lot of addictions. All the obvious ones. Uh, married. And 
struggling a little bit because he's getting arthritis in his knees, which is never good, but it's particularly bad if you're a tyler because you spend a lot of your time kneeling down and crouching and stuff. His friend has just come to him and said, I've got an idea. Why don't we open a store together? So he's trying to decide, do I quit tithing and open a store? But it's lockdown. It's the first lockdown. It's, you know, the, right at the beginning of COVID. And he, he can't, he's not sure what to do. He falls asleep one night and he has a dream. In this dream, he sees a stranger, a man, walking up a stone staircase, comes towards him and touches him. And when the man puts his hand on his shoulders, Sean says in his dream, he was overwhelmed with a sense of love and joy that he had never experienced before in his life. It was radiating through his very being and he wakes up still experiencing this unbelievable love and joy from this moment in his dream where this man has put his hand on his shoulder and he turns to his wife and says what do you make of that and his wife says I guess maybe it was Jesus so he goes well what do I do with that she goes I guess maybe try talking to him (laughs) so he says well what the do I talk to Jesus about? She said, well, I guess whether you should open this store with your friend or not. So he says to Jesus, Jesus, I don't know whether to stop being a tyler or, and open a store or what I'm supposed to do with my life. A couple of days later, he's in a bathroom tiling it when he hears a voice in his head saying a word that's, pretty strange, out of context, he hears the word Corinthians. So strange that he takes a pencil from behind his ear and he writes it on the wall where he's about to tile, Corinthians. And then he hears a number. He hears seven, so he writes seven. And then he hears another number, 20. So he's written Corinthians 7, 20 on this bathroom wall, not knowing what it means And then he does what we would all do before he sticks some tiles over it. He takes a photograph of it. He goes home to his wife and he says to her, I heard this weird thing in my head earlier. It's going to sound strange, but he gets the photo out, Corinthians 7.20. She said, I'm pretty sure that's the Bible. (laughs) So he goes, okay. So he finds a Bible on his phone and he looks up. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, sorry, not 20, 26, and it says this. this is, now, I can promise you there isn't a scripture in all of the Bible more relevant to a man who is in the middle of COVID and asking if he should change his career. This is what he, has, he turns to. Because of the present crisis... I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, now, now I know you're all New Testament scholars here because, you know, and you're all like, I'm sorry, but that's out of context. And I just want to say, God doesn't care. Clearly. (laughs) You know, if you want great, Exegesis, go to New Life downtown. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you get it here. You get it here for sure. You get it here. I'm just telling you a story. This is what happened. 
As far as Sean the tiler is concerned, God has told him to stay tiling. By the way, after the dream, I remember he said to me, when I woke up that morning, all my addictions had just were broken. I know it doesn't always happen like this for everyone. Some of us, we need the 12-step, we need whatever. But he said, I just, it, I just had no more desire in those areas. And he said, the really strange one was, I'd lost my desire to swear, and I didn't even know that was wrong. <laughs> Third story. This is an email I received this morning. The lady writing to me, said this, I have been walking with Jesus for 35 years. I love to pray, but I have suffered greatly with mishearing God's voice. And then she says, I waited to marry the wrong man because he went and married someone else. I then applied for jobs that didn't work out because I thought God was directing me. And she finishes like this. She says, my heart has been broken by getting God's voice wrong. Those three stories, and they're all personal, they're not like secondhand, these are real stories, you'll have your own. Remind me that hearing the voice of God is the single most important and wonderful thing you will ever learn to do because it's the key to guidance, it's the key to spiritual growth, it's the key to life itself. But hearing the voice of God is also one of the most confusing and complicated and difficult. And I'm sure you will all have your own stories, maybe of crying out to God for an answer and he didn't seem to speak. Or maybe, like me, you have been infuriated by so-called prophets trying to manipulate political elections and claiming that it's the voice of God. Or maybe you have been hurt personally by the misappropriation of God's word by a manipulative parent or a cocksure preacher or a troubled soul like the one who looked me in the eyes after church one day and she said to me, God has commanded me to marry you. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't Sammy <laughs> to whom I was already married at the time. What do you do? Well, let's look at the scriptures. John chapter 10, verse 27. I love how Jesus is always simple and he's always relational. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here's the news. It turns out that Christianity is really simple. Just turn to the person next to you and go, that's a relief. It's <laughs> a big relief. It's really simple. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. The primary posture of the disciple is one of attentiveness towards the voice of God. One of my friends says it's like this. Your attitude is always God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Listen and obey. And people who get too complicated about this need to understand Jesus says, you can be a stupid, stinking sheep and get this right. So there's hope for all of us. Listen and obey. 
But maybe you're saying, okay, that's fine, but I struggle to hear God's voice. Maybe your prayers sometimes feel like monologues rather than conversations. Maybe you've been massively hurt by things that God seemed to say or didn't say or the ways that his words got confused or twisted. Or maybe God said something to you that you so didn't want to hear that like Jonah, you've been running away from that. You've listened, but you have not obeyed. So I want us to turn now to one of the most beautiful and funniest stories in the whole Bible. It's the uh, Emmaus Road account, which is a masterclass for all those of us who are wanting to learn how to hear the voice of God. Not just because you'll see in this story so many of the ways that God speaks to us modeled, but also because the couple so consistently and reassuringly get it wrong. So um, we're, gonna, we're just going to go through this story. I'm going to read it kind of quickly. This is Ma- uh, Luke 24, 13 to 35. I won't ask you to stand for the reading of God's word because it's quite long. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. By the way, this is almost certainly a married couple. But all the um, artists who did great oil paintings depict it as two men because... They're basically, um, they're making sexist assumptions. But uh, it's pretty obvious because when they get to Emmaus, they invite him into their house. So it's a shared house. And um, it's probably a married couple who are commuting. You know, it's like a three-hour walk. It's like you work in Denver, you're heading back to Colorado Springs. And they're chatting as they go. Uh, So they're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That's the crucifixion of Jesus and the rumors of his resurrection. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why? He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Can you see the twinkle in his eye at this point? Like, he's Jesus. <laughs> he's risen from the grave. <laughs> I love the way Jesus refuses to have his Elvis moments, you know? There's not even a hint of, hi, my name's Jesus. I'm kind of a big deal. It's just like, I mean, haven't you experienced this in your own life? He sidles up to you and half the time you only realize later, oh, God was talking to me. Haven't you noticed that's his style? Haven't you noticed that our influencers, our celebrities, our politicians all play power games? You walk in the room, they're going to make sure you know about it, but the God of all the universe, you can miss him in a crowded bar. You understand? And so he sidles up to them, and and he asks them a question. That's the other thing. He's more into asking questions than making statements. You never experienced that before from someone important, right? And uh, so then they reply to him. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? (laughs) I mean, it's just brilliant. They go, oh, About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, they tell Jesus. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women who had said, had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. Have you noticed that Jesus rarely treats you with the respect you feel you deserve? How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I mean, who would like to have listened in on that particular Bible study? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. (laughs) I mean, guys, he's risen from the grave. You could say his schedule is wide open, you know. He's literally got all the time in the world. But he's like, yeah, I'm off. Like, I mean, he's just mucking about with them the whole time. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It does make you wonder whether he appeared to a whole bunch of other people who missed the big one because they didn't invite him in for coffee, right? I mean, you know, not just you missed having Jesus to coffee, you missed being in the Bible. I mean, (laughs) they were a bit busy, you know? Wow. I mean, you do need to be interruptible if you're a follower of Jesus. Do, do, Do you remember how you do this? You listen. And obey. Do you remember I said the posture is attentiveness? That means an openness to interruption for starters. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. (laughs) Sorry about me. Come on. (laughs) And began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I love this bit. And he disappeared from their sight. What? What? I mean, as if it's not bad enough, the whole what things and the, yeah, I'm heading off this way. Oh, all right, I'll come in. The moment they realize it's Jesus, holy cow. No, that's the wrong religion. Jesus Christ. It's okay, I wasn't swearing. It actually was. Jesus Christ. And he goes, bye. Man. <laughs> and then he disappeared. They asked each other, <laughs> that's so stupid. But were not our hearts burning within us whilst he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? One would think perhaps they might be, yes. 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Look at the ways that Jesus speaks in this passage. The first is in many ways the most predictable but the most remarkable at the same time. Jesus has risen from the dead, and yet he chooses to conduct a two-and-a-half-hour Bible study. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself, verse 27. I mean, it's like the whole of the Old Testament, and he goes through it with them, and it's a seven-mile walk, so let's just say, you know, two-and-a-half hours. You see... He's got, he is the ultimate miracle, but he still contextualizes his own resurrection against the authority of God's word in the Bible. No ecstatic experience, no angelic visitation, no miraculous occurrence can ever undermine or displace the ultimate authority of God's word in our lives. God first and foremost speaks through the Bible. And one of my big surprises in releasing this book has been the number of people, particularly younger people, saying, wow, that whole thing about God speaking mostly in the Bible. Wow, that's profound. And I was like, oh, I just thought that was obvious. But we have to keep coming back to the foundation of Scripture in a relativist and experience-driven age. George Gallup has called the Bible the best-selling, least-read book in America. (laughs) Scripture is the language of God's heart. You know, back when we first got a GPS, before you had them on your phones, we had a big clunky thing that we put on the dashboard of the car, And it wasn't that sophisticated. There were basically two voices that I could choose from to steer me around the country. One was um, a very authoritative, actually quite military-sounding man. It was, straight on here, (laughs) turn left. And the other was a woman who I can only describe as sultry. (laughs) Turn right at the crossroads, you know. And so obviously I, I, I chose the woman because the man was terrifying. And Sammy said to me, I, I don't trust her. I'm like, I'm like, it's a machine. She's like, mm, I still don't trust her. And then I found out our GPS had the capacity. There was about 150 like, comments that you had to record, but you could put your own voice on the GPS So I said to Sammy, this is brilliant. Just record these 150 different things and you can be the person, not sultry woman or military man, you can be the person who steers me around the country. And it could be quite, frankly, quite healing in our relationship because (laughs) for for her to get directions correct consistently... I cannot but speak the truth to you. (laughs) Sammy said she had a better idea. And she said, now our two boys were about five and seven at that stage. She said, get the boys to record them. So I had a delightful evening sitting on the sofa with one on one side, one on the other. As they took it in turns to read these little instructions, you know, turn left here, dad, and and all this. And 
and every now and they kind of improvised. So the, the, the one where they were meant to just say, you have reached your destination, a little voice said, you've reached your destination. Welcome home, Daddy. I know. I know. I can't tell you the number of times, you know, I'd drive back, I'd get to the house late, all the lights were out, the whole family was asleep, I'd be exhausted, and I'd be caught completely unaware and almost moved to tears by a little voice saying, welcome home, Daddy. There was one time we were driving through the capital of Scotland, Edinburgh. It's incredibly complicated, one-way systems and, you know, all of that. And I was trying to get to the, the train station. And so the GPS was guiding me. The boys' voices were guiding me uh, through Edinburgh. And eventually, uh, Danny's voice, Danny was in the back seat, said, turn right here. And I turned right and swung into the station. I looked in the rearview mirror and I said, Danny, how did you know that it was right here for, for the station? And this little boy thought for a while. He said, I don't know how I know. I I just know, Daddy. And in that statement, he actually got right to the heart of one of the biggest philosophical conundra of all time. It is uh, what's often known as epistemology. It is how do we actually know what we know? If you have ever engaged a conspiracy theorist online or in the flesh, you'll quickly discover that you are in an epistemological debate. The actual discussion is not, in fact, about anti-vax or QAnon or the Bilderberg group or whether Elvis is alive and working in a Mexican restaurant around the corner. The actual discussion is about the nature of knowledge and how we know what we know, whose truth is the true truth. And for every Christian who has ever lived, the Bible is ultimately how we know what we know. Our epistemology is anchored in this vast and ancient record of God's revelation regarding the nature and purpose of all reality. And just like that GPS steering me through Edinburgh's twisted streets, the Bible becomes our constant source of guidance and wisdom and direction through many twists and turns of life. As it says in Isaiah 30 verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And like that GPS, the voice of Scripture over the years, which can sound quite formal at the start, will quickly become familiar and even familial, speaking intimately to our hearts, somehow becoming more precious with every passing ear. Welcome home. You have reached your destination. Nothing that God says in any other way, in any other context, will ever override, undermine, or contradict what he has already said in the Scriptures. And Jesus, therefore, doesn't just turn up and say, Hi, it's me. I'm risen from the dead. Get down on your knees. He conducts this Bible study. There are a lot of younger Christians who, if I said to them, 
you know, come to the World Prayer Center tomorrow morning. We're going to be rededicating this amazing building to the Lord. It's an unbelievably exciting moment. You must come and join us tomorrow morning after years and years. I know there's hundreds of you already praying in there, but this is such a key moment, I believe, for this church and I believe even for this nation. So do join us. But anyway, if I said to one of these younger people, look, come to the rededication at the World Prayer Center and you're going to have the ultimate encounter with God they would be like, okay, I'm there. And they would walk in like, like um, you know, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future, ready, come on, <laughs> let the lightning strike, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't they? <laughs> and then if I said, the form of this ultimate encounter with God is going to be a two and a half hour Bible study. Can you imagine their disappointment? But that's what Jesus does here. So one of the little invitations I want to give to you at this time as we're pushing into the summer season, maybe we've been able to slow down a little bit, have a little bit more space, is to push back into Scripture. Renew your hunger for God's Word. There's a little daily devotional app that you can get for free that we produce called Lectio 365, L-E-C-T-I-O, Lectio 365. We have 165,000 people a day now use it. And that will help you to pray the Bible every day. Super easy, uh, super simple. But whatever means you use, can I encourage you to push back into the Scriptures? I just want to draw two other little ways in which God speaks, but these are going to be much quicker because then we're going, to, we're going to share the bread and the wine together. The, the second thing we see in this story is that God speaks through his word in the Bible, but also he speaks through his word prophetically. So he doesn't just rehash all the old ways of teaching the Bible. But there's this extraordinary phrase at the end of verse 27 there where he's, it says he, he showed them from the Scriptures how all the Scriptures pointed to himself. It was about himself. This is what uh, scholars call the Christological hermeneutic. It means you read the Bible in the light of Jesus Christ, assuming that all of the Bible points to Jesus, and it changes everything when you do that. Because when you separate the Bible from Jesus, you can go to some very strange and dark places, right? But when you read those tricky passages in the Old Testament, those confusing bits in the Pauline epistles, in the light of Christ, it suddenly makes sense. And so Jesus is teaching, he's modeling here the Christological hermeneutic. He's saying, read the scriptures in the light of my death, my life, my resurrection. And uh, it's prophetic because he is taking the ancient story of God, he's honoring its authority, but he's making it wow and he's making it now. He is taking the word of God and he is making it something that is relevant and and, uh, extraordinary in the present moment. That is what the prophetic so often does. The Apostle Paul teaches a great deal in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about this, how we prophesy. And um, 
you know, prophecy isn't sort of necessarily telling the future. It's simply listening to what God is saying and then speaking his word to others for their encouragement, edification, strengthening, and comfort. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And you may say to me, well, look, how do I do that? How do I prophesy? And that would be a good thing to ask because verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. So none of us have the options of going, that prophecy thing, I don't do that. Like my wife does that. <laughs> you know, there's this guy who always gets up and does, I don't do the prophecy thing. But the Apostle Paul looks you in the eyes and says, you are meant to be earnestly desiring this. You're meant to be longing to do this. And one of the reasons is because it's the key to encouraging, edifying, comforting, and strengthening those around you. So if you say, I don't do that, you're saying, I don't want to encourage, strengthen, comfort those around me with God's word. And, and so uh, again, this might be a season in your life where the Spirit is inviting you to begin to earnestly desire to prophesy. And you say to me, well, how do I do that? And in the book, I give a a really simple uh, key that you'll be able to remember and it works and it's this ABC at those moments when you're thinking is that thing that I'm thinking that picture I've got in my head that dream I had last night is this God or is it just me you know that moment ask yourself ABC is it a affirming B biblical and C Christ-like is it affirming We've talked about that, 1 Corinthians 14, encouraging, comforting, strengthening. You say to me, oh yeah, but there's prophecies in the Bible that are like judgment and hellfire and brimstone. I'm like, yeah, but why don't you just leave that to like the super professionals and you start with the easy stuff that's encouraging, amen? I mean, who here wants a slightly easier life? Okay, B, is it biblical? Now, by this, I don't mean, can you find an obscure text in Leviticus to back this up? I mean, is it in line with the super sweep of Scripture? And one of the things I genuinely admire and love about New Life Church is the way that you diligently teach the Bible. And so by being part of this church, you are starting to get a feel, a sense, an understanding, a grid for the narrative of God in the Bible. So is it in line with the Bible? And thirdly, and most importantly, is it Christ-like? Does it sound like Jesus? Is it the sort of thing Jesus would say and do? And if it passes the ABC test, you've honestly got nothing to lose by giving it a go. You're gonna affirm some people, it's in line with Scripture, it's the sort of thing Jesus would say. So I mentioned this festival right at the start the one that Maurice just got saved at. But the very first time we did it, it's called Wildfires, the festival. The very first time we did it, the first session, at the end, people came to the front to respond, receive prayer. And I noticed a guy I hadn't seen for many years called Jono came to the front. And he's standing there, hands open, and someone prays for him, and he's just sobbing, he's just weeping. And Jono's kind of distinctive, he's very tall, and he has dreadlocks you know and, he, and I went up to him afterwards I said John like what was going on like I saw you weeping and he said Pete the reason you haven't seen me for years is I've been really unwell I had a bicycle accident I fell off my bike I hit my head and I've had major neurological problems 
for several years. I've not been able to come to any Christian stuff, any of this. It's all too much for me. The first thing I'm back at in years. And he said, I, I, I figured I should come and just receive prayer at the end because, you know, I've not been in a context like this for so many years. And I'm standing there feeling a bit weird and a complete stranger just came up to me and these were his opening words. This is after seven years without being in a context like this. The opening words of this complete stranger to him are these. I had a picture as I was walking towards you. I saw a man on a bicycle and then everything went black. Does that mean anything to you? And he said, I started to weep because in that moment I realized, oh, God knows. God sees. God cares. God hears. Even though I don't understand why I went through it, God was with me in it. Some of you here, this is the message of the book of Job. You may never understand why you're going through what you're going through. You may never understand why that thing happened, but you can derive incredible comfort and even hope in knowing that God is with you in the midst of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So at the start of the next session, I pulled Jono up on the stage because I thought this will encourage people. This is pretty cool, pretty amazing. Jono tells his story, the one I've just told you. And then it suddenly occurred to me that the, the like, assassin prophet must be in the crowd here. I wonder who it was. So I said, who was it? Fess up. And this little guy, Mike, comes to the front. He climbs on the stage. I, I said, his name is Mike Norris. I said, Mike, like, how did you do that? And he said, I don't know, it's weird. I was walking towards this tall guy with dreadlocks and on the way I suddenly saw a bloke on a, on, on, on a bicycle and everything went black. It's a bit weird, isn't it? I thought it might be God. <laughs> I said, it is a bit weird. It clearly was God. I said to him, Mike, how sure were you it was God? He said, oh, probably about 10%. I then turned to Jono. I said, Jono, how pleased are you that Mike took that 10% risk? And what do you think he said? 100%. Guys, listen. Some of you need to start taking some 10% risks again. You need to just start taking some risks. If it's ABC, if it's affirming biblical Christ-like, you've got nothing to lose. Take some risk because someone else's 100% is awaiting your 10%. And if we make a few mistakes, none of us are that important. It's okay. Don't be rude and you'll get away with it, you know? But, but, but listen, I just wonder if the Holy Spirit is challenging some of us to earnestly desire the prophetic again, to start to step out a little bit in sharing pictures and scriptures and words of encouragement, texting them to friend, getting up the front and sharing them because the Spirit of God wants to edify, encourage, comfort, strengthen the church. Listen, the hope of Colorado Springs is a revived church and the key to the church being revived is the Spirit of God moves in our midst and the Word of God speaks to us. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, rhema, that comes from the mouth of God. And so let's take some 10% risks. I'll finish with one story, one last story. When I was just trying to learn how to do this stuff, all the prophetic stuff, it was all new to me, pretty scary, pretty exciting. I thought I'd really like to start having pictures, you know, visions in my head. 
I was kneeling by my, met, by my bed one day and trying to have a picture. I didn't really know how to do it. And so I said, God, speak to me. Give me one of those pictures. And I suddenly got an image in my head of, there, there was, used to be a chain of roadside diners in England called Happy Eater. And it had this funny little logo of a smiling man pointing into his mouth. And I suddenly saw this logo. And I thought, this is it. God is sending me to our local Happy Eater roadside diner. And I borrowed, I was only 17, I borrowed the, the car keys from my dad and I drove five miles to our nearest Happy Eater. And I walked in there like a man on a mission. I was like, is the place going to be burning down? I'm going to save everyone. Is this the start of revival? Will there be someone suicidal in the kitchen? That I, you know, I was pretty excited. And I walked in and a woman came up and looked intently into my eyes and said to me, table for one. And I was a bit disappointed, but I sat down and I did what English people do in any crisis. I ordered a cup of tea. <laughs> and, and for the next hour, literally nothing happened. Like nothing. I was so disappointed. There was, there was no one suicidal. There was no fire. Everyone seemed happy. It was just dreadful. And so eventually, I just kind of left a generous tip and slunk out of there. And I vowed as I drove back, feeling really embarrassed that I'd never tell anyone about my little mission from God that was a complete non-starter. Here's the thing. Somewhere in the courts of heaven, the father turned to the son and said, why did that kid just go to Happy Eater? And the son said, I said, no. Holy Spirit, was it your fault? It's frankly a suboptimal range of roadside diners. <laughs> and the Spirit said, it's nothing to do with me. But he's trying to get good at hearing from us, and he's just not very good at it. <laughs> so the Father goes, so it wasn't Jesus, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit, definitely wasn't me. And he looked down at me and said, mm, Pete Gregg, I like that guy. Do you understand? Like, I took a 10% risk, and it was completely wrong, and it wasn't the end of the world, but maybe God thought, at least he's earnestly desiring. At least he's seeking to prophesy. At least he's wanting to grow. At least his hunger is coming alive. At least he's moving beyond just studying me in the book and seeking to somehow be the word of God to those around him for their strength and encouragement. And so I want to just encourage you in that direction today. And so we're just going to um, now do the most natural thing at the end of a message like this based around the Emmaus Road story. And that is, that is come to the table because, of course, the ultimate way in this story that they encounter the risen Jesus is at the table as he breaks the bread. And I guess he lifted it up and they saw the scars in his wrists. Or maybe they had one of them had been present at the Last Supper or maybe they'd heard stories about it. But there was something in that moment as they shared the meal that they realized this is Jesus. And so ultimately, we find that Jesus speaks in this story and in our lives, not just through the book of the Bible. 
And not just through the prophetic encounter, but through himself. That's what John chapter 1 says, that he is the word of God. And the ultimate way that you are going to listen and obey is to stay close to the shepherd. It is to know Jesus. Through the seasons where he speaks more and he speaks less, stay close to Jesus and you will have all that you need. And so my invitation to you as you uh, prepare your hearts now to come to the table and to see Jesus is an invitation, first of all, to step this summer into a deeper conversational relationship with him. Maybe you're going to be able to carve out a little time over the coming weeks to be still and to hear the still small voice of God in a way that is hard in the busier, more hectic times of the year. Maybe there is an invitation here today to stir up the prophetic gift or begin to step into it for the first time, to earnestly desire this, to take some 10% risks, some happy eater moments. Or maybe for you, if you're honest, like that lady who emailed me this morning, you have been deeply hurt by getting God's guidance wrong. And part of you is thinking, I don't know if I can even go there again. But the guy with the weird accent came and stood in front of you and reminded you that you were made for a conversational relationship with God. That he guides Maurice, who's been a Christian for a matter of minutes, across a field and connects her with Louise And now there's a discipleship-making relationship taking place. He breaks into the life of a man like Sean in a dream, but then also through an audible voice, and then ultimately through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 26, and he speaks. We have a God who breaks in, a God who cares, a God who wants to draw alongside you and not just be something that you believe in religiously, but someone that you experience personally day by day. And so we finish where we started. Christianity is simple. Listen and obey. That word, John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. The Greek word there is akuo. It's the word from which we get acoustics, the mark of a follower of Jesus, the mark of someone who truly knows the Lord Jesus, is that they are attuned to the acoustics, the nuance, the tone of Jesus' voice. And as the years go on, we grow in our understanding of his voice. And there are many people here who've walked with the Lord longer than I, and you know his voice with a level of intimacy that is just so inspiring. So wherever you're at on your journey, I want to invite you just to take a moment now as I pray. This is the most important moment as you ask yourself the question, okay, not what is the preacher saying? Not even what is the Bible story saying, but Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me now? So Spirit of God, just move in this building now. Activate the Word of God. 
speak to every single person. I ask for a stirring up of the prophetic in this congregation, a release of dreams and visions like they've never known before, a season of divine revelation, of enormous encouragement and edification. I believe some of you as parents, you're even gonna see this start to break out amongst your teenagers. A move of the Spirit, a revelation, an opening of eyes. And for those here who are saying, if they're really honest, Lord, I've hardened my heart against your word. I've been hurt. I ask for a healing now, even in this moment of coming to your table. Lord, we're all ears. Jesus, we're listening to you. Keep speaking, we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Normally we would go right into communion here, but I want us to practice this a little bit. I want you to, we're gonna sing Spirit of God fall on us. And I want you to be open in this next song and just say, Lord, would you give me a picture? Would you give me an image? If there's a, a scripture, if there's an encouraging word, would you make me aware of the person that I need to share that with? We're gonna do that right now during this song. I want you to keep your eyes open. Maybe the Lord will... Maybe it's putting your arm around one of your kids if you're with your kid. Whoever it is, but maybe the Lord will give you the chance to take that 10% risk in this next song. So let's sing Spirit of God and let's do kind of the chill, quieter version so that they can share in the room. But I want you to just say, uh, Lord, 1 Corinthians 14.1, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Help me to affirm and let it be biblical and Christ-like. But can we just like practice this right now? And make this a little lab. You can talk to me. Go ahead. You, can we practice this? Thank you. Thank you, class. So open your hands. Let's worship the spirit of the living God. And just see what the Lord wants to say. And if the Lord drops an image, a word, a picture in your mind for someone around you, let's begin to just practice that right now. Go ahead. You have permission. Let's sing. We are We won't move without We won't move without you We are hoping Anticipating We won't move without you We won't move without you You are here with us now. You are here. 
you get your communion elements ready to receive? And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he broke it, and their eyes were open to see Jesus. Tonight is not just a precious little meal that we're remembering something that happened, but we're saying, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus, feed us again. Jesus, be revealed to us afresh. So tonight, as we come to the table of the Lord, I I want it to be a place of encounter for us because this is who Jesus is and this is what he does. So on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember. As often as you do this, remember me. As often as you do this, I'm going to show up in a fresh way. And so we say, Jesus, come tonight. Open our eyes again that we might see. Friends, you may receive the bread tonight. Tonight, as we come to receive the cup, I'm here to tell you, you have been forgiven. For the times where we've missed it, we have been forgiven. For the times where we were zealous but we weren't wise, we have been forgiven. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of all your sins. And as often as you do this, remember me. So church tonight, you are clean because Jesus, not because of us, but because of Jesus. So Lord Jesus, we repent tonight. Would you just repent? Would you lay your life back down and say, Jesus, have your way in me afresh. I want to listen and I want to obey. Jesus is for you, friends. He has forgiven you. You may receive the cup. Come on, church.
earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. Come on, church. Get your song back tonight. Get your strength back tonight. Come on, stir it up. Stir it up, church. Come on. open your hands tonight to receive the blessing of God the God who is for you some of you are going to sleep better tonight than you have in years sweet sleep to those you love Lord some of you have been carrying a pit in your stomach you haven't had a deep breath in a couple years. Tonight, I just pray it would release. Peace of God wash over you tonight. It's going to be okay. May the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smile and countenance upon you and all of your people tonight. May he grant you peace, I pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Sweet, sweet, sweet time. Hang tight for one second. A few announcements. Uh, we've got the summer nights party with the Kona Ice and all that stuff out here. So 
don't race out. Um, tomorrow morning, Pete mentioned it, 9 a.m. in the World Prayer Center. It's across our parking lot. A rededication of the World Prayer Center. Pete's going to be speaking. Uh, the team's going to be leading worship. It's going to be excellent 9, 30, or 9 to 10.30-ish. So come join us in the morning for prayer. You have nothing better to do, I promise you than to pray. So join us in the morning. Uh, Prayer team is coming down right now. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. So much love.